result. You are now tuned into Pulse Pounding with Mickey Dillon. Hello, sluts. It is me, Mickey Dillon. Welcome back to another episode of Pulse Pounding. I swear to God, two weeks off, and I feel like I don't even know how to do this anymore. <laughs> I just sat down and put my headphones on and started like adjusting my levels. There was this weird noise, and I realized I had the microphone too close to the plug that was plugged into the wall. I swear I don't even know how to podcast anymore after a two-week break. Before that, is that a plane? Uh, honestly, we're we're not even. What is it? The things that fifty seconds in, and there's a fucking plane going over my head. I can, I cannot. Before my two week break, we had a whole slew of interviews. So I feel like it's been so long since we just like sat down and talked and checked in with each other. How are you doing? What's going on? Tell me everything. What have I missed? I'm gonna tell you everything that you've missed. I literally just sat down with my throat coat tea. <laughs> I bought throat coat tea and I ordered a vocal steamer. Okay. I ordered this little piece of machinery that comes to your house in a nice little fun box. And they have these like saline droplet packets because you're not supposed to use tap water because I, I don't know. It's probably just a scam for them to make more fucking money. But you know what? I'm falling into the trap. I've seen Miss Ariana Grande using <laughs> I swear to God, I'm not like one of those influenced people. I'm really not. Like, I don't see the TikTok, Instagram whores using something and then I'm like, oh, I gotta buy it. But there's a select few people who I'm like, if they use this for this profession, I should have this too. And Ariana Grande is one of those people. Even though I'm not a singer, I started thinking about how like, well, I guess I should like take care of my voice because my voice is what I'm using on this outlet, right? So I was thinking to myself like all the times that I do an interview or I sit down and I talk and I'm just trying not to choke or I feel like my throat's dry. I'm like, <laughs> there's no way to not pick it up on the microphone. It doesn't matter where you turn your head. If you're coughing or clearing your throat, you're going to hear it, right? So throat coat tea was my first fix. And then I was reading about these vocal steamers. So you put these little droplets into the little fucking steamer. It's like a nebulizer almost for your vocal cords. And you just stick it in your mouth and breathe in the steam. And it's supposed to like hydrate your vocal cords times 50. So you do it for like 10 minutes or so before you do something. I mean, it's meant for singers mostly. So you would do it like right before you go on stage or you're doing a gig or an event or whatever. So I bought that and it's on its way. And we'll see how that goes. I'm going to start steaming my throat hole. <laughs> just a few minutes before I sit down to interview somebody or before I sit down and do some of this shit. So I will update you on that later when it gets here. But for right now, we're sticking with the... God, I can't even fucking talk. For right now, we're sticking with the throat coat tea. So let's see how that goes. Um, first order of business is I want to shout out Deb and her sister, Jen, who are two of my biggest supporters. She always responds to my stuff. They listen to all of my episodes. They actually have been watching all of my videos since I started doing that back in quarantine. And they have a food truck. I think they said they were in Rockland County. Let's shout out their food truck. Let me say, hold on, hold on. I gotta pull my Instagram messages. Sorry, bitch. Okay, so they have a food truck, which is in Rockland County, and it is, you can look it up on Instagram, Gracie's Bulldog Grill. Gracie's Bull... <laughs> I swear I can't fucking talk. Gracie's Bulldog Food Truck. You can look them up on Instagram at Gracie's Bulldog Grill. 
Ooh, 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 look at this. This shit looks good. I'm scrolling through the Instagram. Look at these grilled cheeses. Oh, bitch is getting hungry. Deviled eggs. Oh my God. Wow. Oh, ooh, I was not expecting this. This shit looks good. Ooh, love that so much. Anyway, so they're in Rockland County. You can look them up on Instagram, Gracie's Bulldog Grill. So Deb and her sister, Jen, are two of my favorites. Thank you so much for always listening and always sending me such nice messages in response. And if you're in the area, if you're in Rockland County, New York, check out their fucking food truck because some of this shit looks really good and now I'm hungry. <laughs> Do you bitches have Uber Eats? Can you send me some shit down to Long Island? It's like 11 o'clock at night and I'm fucking a little stoned and starving drinking my stupid goddamn tea. So if you could send me some fucking grilled cheeses on this menu, that would be great. <sighs> okay, so today... I'm like so excited to sit down and do this because I feel like it's been 90 years, even though it hasn't. But it's also like a somber and kind of like depressing topic. We're talking about death giveaway, dead giveaway at the beginning. Spoiler alert, trigger warning for the real sensitive people. We are talking about death and grieving. So I took some time off to really deal with everything that was happening in my family and be present for myself and for them because Anyone who knows me knows that I treat this show like it's fucking late night with Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> the seriousness of a major fucking, you know, whatever. I, I think I'm fucking Joe Rogan. So I treat everything I do with this show very seriously because it is my passion. It is what I want to make a career out of. It is very serious to me. I am very regimented. I don't skip weeks. I don't just decide I don't want to do it because I don't want to do it. Even if I don't want to do it, I fucking sit down and do it, which most times I can't fucking wait to do it like this week. But you know, you have your moments where you just don't want to do anything because you're feeling down. But I felt it was really important to put my time and attention towards my family. There's nothing more important than the people in your life not even this. So I took a break and I really just focused on everything that was happening. Um, so about a year and a half ago, my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer. I believe it started as pancreatic cancer because I remember that was alarming because it has such a low survival rate. If I remember when I read it initially, it was like 60 or 70 percent of people who are diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at any stage don't make it more than like a few months. It's really crazy. I think it was because I, I can't remember what I read because it was so long ago, but I think it was because it's such a hard one to remove or something like that. Um, so that happened. And they were initially talking about, I think at Thanksgiving, I went to Thanksgiving and they had just gotten like not so great news. So they ended up telling me, my aunt and my grandmother, that they didn't think the doctors that he was going to make it more than like four to six months from that point. So we were all talking about having like a really great last holiday season and all being together for the holidays. And then I got fucking COVID for Christmas. Joke was on me and I couldn't fucking go anywhere. But I am the kind of person who just immediately starts making jokes about things because that's how I cope. I don't do anything normal. I don't cry <laughs> right away. I don't freak out. I just start making jokes about shit. So he kind of knew when we were outside that they were telling me what was going on. 
So a little bit later and I sat down next to him on the couch and I was like, I just want to apologize because if this is your last holiday season here with us, I'm sorry that you'll have to remember me as being so fat. <laughs> and he almost spit out what he was drinking. Um, and I actually, I think I recently, everything's such a blur, but I think over the past couple of weeks, I told the rest of my family that I had said that to him. But we all kind of have the same sick sense of humor where we make like dark jokes during times like that. <laughs> so it's good to be around them. And you know, like he gets it with me. So over the past year, I would say, everything's been like up and down. Sometimes he's great. Sometimes he's not so great. Sometimes he's in the hospital. Sometimes he's at home. And I think I remember specifically, I had gone to see him in the hospital when he wasn't doing so well quite a while back. And he was just like super underweight. He was really fucked up from the chemo. It didn't really agree with him. And he was all fucked up. He was super thin. He was getting like disoriented and, and a lot of a lot of shit was going on with him. And he was in the hospital. And I just remember it was almost like alarming to see him. And I thought about that before I went in there. So I like prepared myself for it. But it was like shocking. He's like always been this like thick, like stocky, muscular guy. And I just have this perception of him of being like strong and built and just the person I remember all of my fucking life. So to see him so like thin and a little bit frail and and kind of like just a different energy, you know, like I'm used to this like tough guy <laughs> all of my life. And that's the perception I have of him. So to see him in such a different place was upsetting. And then I remember I saw him just a few months later at his house and he had come home from work and I was visiting with my grandmother and he was still thin, but he was himself, you know? So it was so crazy to see him go up and down and up and down during this process. I also am so fortunate that I've had all four of my grandparents until this point in my life. I'm turning 30 this year. And just a few years ago, I started thinking about how lucky am I that I have all of my grandparents. I don't know anyone in my age group that has all four of their grandparents. I know a lot of people in my age group who have lost their own parents, let alone their fucking grandparents. So how lucky am I that I've had all four of them in my life up until almost 30? Like, that's so crazy to me. So I always have appreciated that. And I've always enjoyed the fact that I've had those relationships so far into my adult life. So fast forward to a few weeks back and he was had been really sick with COVID and then he had pneumonia and he ended up in the hospital. So I went to see him and it was just him and I. Nobody was there at the time that I went. And we spent like a few hours. I was there for probably two or three hours just talking and hanging out and talking about shit. <laughs> I was telling him a lot about what I was doing with this show, which we had talked about previously. We were talking about his health stuff. We were talking about work and, and his job and all the things that he enjoyed and was looking forward to getting back to. He has this beautiful Corvette that he's waited to have all of his life that he loves to fucking drive everywhere. So he was talking about getting back to that and his motorcycle and his garage, with the, which is all decked out with all his shit. He was just in such a good place, even though he wasn't really feeling that well. And we had such an awesome visit and it was such incredible quality time to spend together. Um, and at that point, they were talking about sending him home. 
he was on oxygen and he couldn't breathe all that well. Would they just were assuming it was from the COVID and the pneumonia and all that shit. So at that point, they were talking about sending him home, I believe, on that Sunday. I had seen him on like a Thursday or a Friday, and they were talking about sending him home on a Sunday. So to go from that to where it ended up just a few days later, like a week later, was insane. So basically, the next week, I got a call from my family saying that like it, things weren't looking good. He never ended up going home that week and things were not looking good. And we all had to go to the hospital the next morning to kind of like spend some time with him because he didn't really have that much left. So I was confused. I was like, what are we doing here? Are we going there to say goodbye? Like, is he not going to make it over the next couple of days? And at that point, no one really knew. So we were treating it as if it was our last times together, you know? So the first day I went there of that week, it was just the immediate family. It was myself and my dad and my aunt, her two daughters, my cousins, Megan and Shannon, and my grandmother. And shout out to Megan and Shannon, by the way, my two cousins, because those bitches have kept me fucking sane <laughs> throughout this whole process. I swear to God, they were like picking me up every day from my house. So I didn't have to go alone. I wanted to like all of us to go together because it, it's like heavy shit, you know, like I didn't want to get in the car after seeing him and not knowing if it would be the last time I would see him and drive home by myself quiet with my thoughts. Like, I don't want to fucking do that. So they picked me up and they like literally had my back throughout this whole process. No matter what happened, whether we were emotional, whether we were laughing, we were all kind of like there together dealing with shit. And that made it so much easier than it is when you do things like that by yourself. So shout out to them. So I remember leaving that first day that we saw him and thinking, what an incredible moment. What an incredible day we had. We were there for like eight to 12 hours. And we were just talking about memories and life and things that were happening. It was the most fucking incredible day. And we were making such sick jokes because myself, my grandfather, my dad, my aunt, we kind of all have the same sick sense of humor where we'll make like really dark jokes at inappropriate times. And it always makes me feel better about myself because I realize, A, that's where I get it from. And B, I'm not alone. So somebody had made a joke. He was doing scratch offs. Somebody had made a joke about him winning like a bunch of money on his way out and then he made the joke again later he was like imagine i win like a million dollars right now on my way out and i just thought that was so funny even though it really wasn't <laughs> if that makes sense so we had the best day together and i honestly was so grateful and then we were all obviously expecting that he would make it through to the next day i mean he was just this the exact same person he's always been still clearly not that well if you know him and you're looking at him in this state but when I tell you it was like his normal self perfectly alert and aware and together just just a little assistance to breathe on the oxygen but he was his perfectly normal self we were talking about times throughout fucking history and he was like all there and ready to go and that was so unique to me as an experience because anyone who has been older that has passed away in my life which has only been a few great aunts. Um, trying to think of who else. Uh, I don't know, but <laughs> there has been a few. But when you've seen when I've seen those people for the last time, when you go to visit them and you know that they're not going to make it, they're usually in a place where they're like 
not that aware or super sick or maybe not even conscious. So it was a little bit confusing to look at him and and see the normal person that I'm used to and have him talking to us like we're sitting in his fucking living room with goddamn HGTV on the TV in the hospital, which is on a loop in the fucking house. I, I It was just confusing. And because of the lungs, I, I guess that's what does it, right? So they were assuming it was COVID. They were assuming it was pneumonia that was making his breathing difficult. And although he had those things, I'm not sure if they didn't like scan the lungs in a way, I, I'm not a fucking doctor, where they had seen it initially or if like fluid in his lungs had drained and then they took another x-ray, but they ended up finding like nodules all over his lungs that were cancerous. So at that point, they realized that there was like not that much left that they could do and he just had to like ride it out and see what happened. So it was confusing to look at him and, and see him him as himself but realized that he wasn't going to be here in a few days. It was strange. It was beautiful at the same time. It was emotional. And I'm just thankful that we had that day. It's such an incredible memory that we'll all have for the rest of our lives that we spent that time there with him. And it's almost like a little bit of closure in a way. So we left 100% assuming that he would be the same way the next day. And all of his siblings were coming and his extended family were coming from all over the fucking place. <laughs> They're like all over the country. And the next day, Tuesday, was literally like fucking six flags. When I tell you that room was packed at all hours of the day, there was a million people in and out, friends, family. It was awesome. And I really feel we all kind of felt like he was holding on for that day to kind of see everyone and have those those last moments with his siblings and his family members. I feel like I kind of just watched him drain throughout that day. It was a lot of energy, a lot of people, a lot going on for someone who doesn't have that much energy to give in the first place. And at the end, like he was, he was kind of struggling a little bit at the end of that day and feeling not so well. And he was starting to get irritable because he was drained and he was just struggling so it was a great day all in all, but there was nothing like the first day that we spent together. So we left and I kind of decided that I didn't want to go back for the third day because I knew the third day was going to be different. And my cousin and I had spoken about it and I was like, I don't think I want to do that. I kind of want to take the past two days that we had and just remember everything that way, remember him that way. I don't know if I can handle seeing him in a state that's different or if I even want to. And then I decided that was selfish. So I woke up the next morning and she had called me and she was like, I'm going, do you want to go? And I was like, all right, come and get me. I'm going with you. So we went on the third day and honestly, it was just sad. It really wasn't the same as the first two days because he just wasn't really that present or really awake for most of the time. And watching him kind of like struggling because the, the breathing machines and the oxygen were kind of just keeping him alive at that point. So to watch him kind of struggle, even though he was sleeping, his chest and everything just felt so sad and unnatural. And it was hard to look at him in that state. I think they had given him a lot of medicine and morphine and stuff to kind of make him comfortable at that point. So it, it was just hard to look at. So at some point, after a couple hours of being there, my grandmother decided, you know, it was time to kind of let him go on his own and see where that went. And everyone kind of had to say goodbye. At this point, it was just us, like just my immediate family. And it was 
really sad and really difficult and really hard. And I think I had prepared myself thinking that like we got so much bonus time over the past year that we didn't think he would make it through. And we got such incredible last few days that we didn't think we were going to get. And that most people don't, you know, like most people don't get to say goodbye in the way that we did with their loved one. So present with them, you know, kind of knowing what's going to happen and just enjoying the moments you have left. It was such a gift that most people don't end up getting. Most people wake up and someone that they care about is just gone and they find out that they're gone from a phone call or from a message. You know what I mean? What an incredible last few moments and few days that we had kind of knowing that was coming and preparing for that with him. I think it also brought up some regret for me. And I felt really upset the first day I left the hospital because I feel like I didn't use the last year the way that I should have. You know, when he was on his treatments, that he was talking a lot about how he wanted to make it another five years. He wanted to see my youngest cousin graduate and go to college and, and do all of the stuff that she was about to do. And he really wanted to be here for her. It seemed really reasonable in the place he was in at the time that he could make it another five years and that they could keep him alive as long as he was doing as well as he was. So I feel like I kind of bought into that really hard. You know, I was thinking like, I'm spending so much time doing so many crazy fucking things. And this is not about me, but from my own perspective, everyone deals with things in their own way and everyone has their own feelings about how they handle things. And this is not something I feel like I handled the right way, but I also think it's a lesson for the future. So that's why I'm talking about it. I feel like I'm so focused on myself right now and that's not a bad thing. I'm not going to feel bad about that part of it because I haven't done that in a really long time. And it feels right and it feels good to focus on the things that I need to get done and to push myself forward. But I don't think that I have to do that at the expense of something else. So I feel like because I'm so focused and spending all of my free time on my various projects and endeavors creatively, specifically this show, I just allow myself to be disconnected from things that I shouldn't and people that I shouldn't. So I feel like I really thought to myself that he was going to make it another five years. And I thought to myself, well, I'm just going to work really hard this year to get to where I need to be and to move to the next level. And then I'll have all the free time in the world and such an open schedule. And I'll be calling my own shots. And then I'll be able to spend time with everyone that I've missed out on for the past fucking 10 years that I've been doing nothing but working my ass off to pay my fucking bills. And I don't have that time anymore. You know what I mean? So I was thinking about how this was all going to kind of come to an end in the next few days. And my family is all telling stories about all the things they've been doing over the past year. And I wasn't a part of that. And I wasn't a part of that by choice to some degree. Of course, I have to work. Of course, I have to make money. Of course, no one's going to pay my fucking bills if I don't go to work, right? But when my family is doing Sunday breakfast together and they're making that like their new tradition for however long they have left, I'm not a part of that by choice. Could I have not worked Sundays for the past year or gotten up really early and done that with my family before I went to work? Yeah. Did I? No. Why? Why didn't I do that? 
why didn't I take one Monday out of the month or two Mondays out of the month and say, okay, I got to do my show and I got to do my stuff. But for two hours, I'm going to drive 20 minutes away and go sit at my fucking grandparents and hang out with them and have coffee for an hour or two and then come back home and go about my day. But instead, I feel sorry for myself. And I was like, oh, I'm so tired from working all week. I'm going to sleep till 12. And then by the time I wake up and get ready, it's already two o'clock by the time I walk out the door. Now I've got a million things to do. That is all by choice. And I'm not going to spend the rest of my life beating myself up over that. However, it made me feel really shitty. And it made me feel as though I didn't step up for someone that I really care about. And I didn't utilize the time I knew was limited to even 50% capacity, let alone its full capacity. So I think that I'm going to use that instead of beating myself up as a lesson for the future and the important people in my life that I have, especially my grandparents that are here now, the three of them, I have to utilize that time because people don't last forever. And especially when you're in a situation where you know that that time is coming to an end at some point soon, use that time wisely. So I think that for the future, I have to remind myself to do that and use this as a lesson and not forget how it feels when you don't use that time to its maximum potential. So my grandmother and my aunt had made the decision that it was kind of time to let him go on his own. And I mean, we knew what was going to happen. So everyone kind of said goodbye and it was so emotional. And I really hadn't gotten emotional to a certain level until this point because I stood at the door and I was watching him and my grandmother say goodbye to each other. And she kind of like smacked him in the arm and was like, wake up. (laughs) And she said, I think it's time for you to go home now or something to that effect. Or, Or she said, are you ready to go home now? And he was like, yeah, I think it's time. And he was just the most alert or awake or present that he had been that whole day when the two of them were speaking to each other and she sat down on the bed and they just like held hands and told each other they loved each other and expressed all these emotions and said a bunch of things that I don't even honestly fucking remember at this point. But I just sobbed watching the two of them and I had to walk out of the room. And as I was walking down the hallway and I was upset, I had to get myself together and go back in the room because I was like, this is the hardest thing that I've ever had to watch and stare at but it's also so beautiful and I want to be present for it. I couldn't imagine after 50 years together, a life together, kids, all of your experiences that you have to say goodbye to this person and know what's coming. I can't imagine what that feels like from either perspective. All week I was thinking about what it must feel like from his perspective to be sitting with his family, knowing that these are their last moments together, all of our last moments together. But what does that feel like from the perspective of knowing that you're the one who's not going to be here? And I wanted to ask him that, but also like it just wasn't appropriate. And me and my fucking, I don't know, I'm not a journalist, but I guess that's how my fucking mind works now. I'm like, maybe I should interview him (laughs) about what it feels like to know that you're not going to be here. And then I was like, that's not appropriate. Don't even bring that up. But honestly, from like a human standpoint, I was thinking like, 
what would that feel like if I was in his position, looking at all of my family members here to spend time with me, and we all know I'm not going to be here, but I'm the one who's not going to be here. What does that feel like to you? You know what I mean? So then to watch the two of them interact in their like last moments together, I started thinking about the opposite perspective with my grandmother. I started thinking about what is it like to build a life with someone for over 50 years? And look at that person and know that this is the last time you're going to talk to them, the last time that you're going to tell them you love them, and the last time that you're going to have any kind of interaction. What the fuck does that feel like? It must be so terrible. But at the same time, I thought it was so beautiful because, again, so many people don't get that. So many people go to sleep and wake up and someone that they love is gone, whether it's their husband, their mother, their brother, their sister, whoever that person is could just be gone. So at the same time, as sad as it was and as emotional as it was, it was the most beautiful experience that they got to have that together, you know? And my grandmother, I know, will carry that with her for the rest of her life. You know, it was just such an incredible, beautiful, emotional experience to watch. And I couldn't fucking handle it for most of the time it was happening. But I just did it anyway. And my cousin Megan and I were both kind of doing the same thing. We were like kind of in the room, kind of not, kind of listening and looking, but like maintaining the space to just like give them their own space together. And we were sobbing. And then somebody said something that we started laughing. So we were in hysterics, but also laughing. And we probably looked so disgusting and scary. I was just like imagining that Kim Kardashian ugly cry face and that's how I fucking looked it was out of control so we left and we went to eat and it was just like a strange experience like we were all kind of just like trying to be normal but in the car I was saying to my cousins I was like what do we do now? We just go eat at a fucking restaurant and act like this isn't happening and, and wait for a phone call? Like, this is so strange. I don't think any of us knew how to handle it, but we all knew that nobody else knew how to handle it, so we just fucking went ahead and did it. You know, we just kind of fucking went for it. So I immediately started drinking, as we all did. I got my Nana to do some Jameson shots with me because I was like, we, if, and if nothing else, I need to drink to get through my emotions. Alcoholic, maybe. I don't give a fuck. And then as we were leaving, it was so wild. We were in the parking lot and it was raining and we were all under our umbrellas. And that's when we uh, got the call that he had passed. I kind of forgot about it for a minute. I kind of like let myself go into having such a great time with them and eating and drinking and be merry, <laughs> as the white girls would say. And I just kind of like let go of it. And then when I walked out of the restaurant, I feel like it all fucking hit me again. I was like, oh, shit, this is why we're here today. Like, this is what we're doing. And we all got the call and we just were, I think, drained of emotion at that point. My grandma got emotional, but like we all, the rest of us, we kind of just were like, I don't know. It was almost like numb. My cousin and I talked about that a lot that week about like feeling numb after a certain point. And we went back to my grandmother's house and, you know, we just hung out and we were together and that was it. So I'm so beyond grateful for my family and that we were all there for him and that we all got to be there together and for each other. It really was like such a sad time and so emotional, but it was a great experience at the same time. So he decided he wanted a closed casket ceremony funeral ceremony i don't know what the fuck they call it. i really don't wake i don't know and then he was going to be cremated i fucking cannot stand funerals i was so 
glad selfishly that the casket was closed. I don't know why we do this thing where we fucking stare at people's bodies. It is so weird that we all just stand around talking while a dead person is at the front of the fucking room. It makes no sense to me. I don't know where this started and why we continue it on, but it is what it is. I was very confused looking around the funeral home because there was like lots of Catholic shit. Um, And I was like, thinking in my own head, what do they do? Like, are these things just removable? Do they take the Jesus on the cross off the wall? Like, what if you're a Jew? What if you come to this funeral home? Do they do funerals? I'm sure there's many religions that do fucking funerals at this funeral home. So do we put a star of David in place of the Jesus if someone comes in? Because I'm thinking to myself, like, there's no Jewish-specific funeral homes. So how does this work? I was so confused. But then rationally, I thought they must just, like, change the decor around. (laughs) to fit your needs. So I was like in full fucking comedy mode to deal with things after we had like seen him. They let us view him and and all that stuff. And then all things started. My cousins were in the room and I was like knocking on the casket. (laughs) And my aunt and my and my dad, we were all like standing around. And at one point, somebody was like, I feel like he's just going to pop up. (laughs) I think I said that. And my aunt was like, yeah, I feel like he's just going to jump out at me. We were all like in such a weird place, but I don't, I don't know the way everybody just laughs. The humor that we all have really just like gets me through things. I fucking hate funerals and I've never stood up front on like where you stand and you're like on the receiving line. So like people are lined up to come to the casket and you like, stand there and just like address everyone and say hello but my cousins were standing up there with my aunt so she wouldn't be by herself and then I was looking at my cousin and I was like what do I what do I do, do I was just sitting there in the front row I was like this feels weird like what do I do I feel like I shouldn't sit here and just stare at the fucking closed coffin I feel like I should be doing something so I stood up there with her and I regretted that from the second I fucking stood up there because it's just the same goddamn conversation with people over and over and over again. And everyone has good intentions and they mean well and they want to say something supportive and express their condolences. But at some point, I'm also thinking like, shut the fuck up or get me out of here. I can't take it anymore. Everyone's the same thing. I'm so sorry. He was a great man. (laughs) He was so funny. He had such a great spirit. Or my personal favorite, he's in a better place now. He's no longer suffering. No shit, bitch. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's rude. I shouldn't say that. But you know me. I'm not one to hold back. I just was exhausted from the repeat conversations. And we had two sessions, two days in a row. Two days of two to four and seven to nine with some drinking in between. Thank God. The funeral home, shout out to Maloney's because they had a goddamn coffee bar in the corner of the funeral home. I had never seen that at a funeral home before. I don't remember the last time I've been to a funeral, but the last time there was not a Keurig and there was not a setup to make a goddamn coffee. I'm surprised they didn't pull out a wand on an espresso machine and froth me some milk for a fucking cappuccino. But the coffee bar is what got me through. I must have had like seven coffees per fucking session at that Keurig. They probably refilled it at the end of the first night and were like, what is wrong with these fucking people drinking all this coffee at a funeral when really it was mostly me? (laughs) 
Every time I went to that coffee bar, I pulled out a little bottle of Tito's, a mini bottle, and poured it in there. My cousin and I went to the liquor store across the street because that's who we are. And we were like, we got to stock up because the only way I'm going to get through this is if we are drinking. So every time I went to the coffee bar, I was pouring some Tito's in my coffee, in my black coffee, and no one fucking knew it. So good for me. So we got through the funeral and that whole thing. And honestly, I just couldn't wait for it to be over. I know that sounds selfish, but I just can't handle it. It's not for me. It is not for me. Any instance where someone is having a wake and I don't have to go as much as I care about you and I want to be there to support you. I just try my best to avoid it. I'm not good at like the bodies in the front of the room. I don't want to see it. I don't want to walk up to the casket. If anything, I want to show up, show my face, be there for you respectfully, and then get the fuck out of there. And with this, obviously, I couldn't do that. I had to be there for everything. And I wanted to be there for everything. But at the same time, I didn't. Does that make sense? I just am not a funeral person. I can't fucking deal with it. I did have the most incredible time after the first night with my Nana and my cousins. We had gone back to her house and I decided I was going to sleep at my Nana's house after the first night so we could all wake up and do our fucking thing the next morning. And we polished off two bottles of wine and just sat around the kitchen table. And she basically told us like the whole story of their lives and their relationship. I went into full interviewer mode after the first bottle of wine and I was basically interviewing my grandmother about her life and her marriage and her relationship. And I wish we had fucking microphones at the table because it would have been a bestseller. It would have been a hit episode, but it's also like, you know, not for public consumption. But we had the most incredible night. We stayed up till four o'clock in the fucking morning, which was a mistake because we were all shot the next morning. But after everyone left and it was just me and my Nana, we went into like hit the spare room, which is like my grandpa's computer room. And it was so strange to look around at all of his things. And it really like put things into perspective for me, I guess. And made me realize that, like, this is all happening. Because we had said a couple times, my cousin and I, like, this doesn't feel real. You know, we were at the funeral home and we were looking at all the pictures. And it was before ev they had opened the doors for everyone. And it was just us in there. And we were like, this still doesn't feel real. Like, it's so weird. And I think walking into that room in the house and seeing all his things and seeing his notes. And my grandma and I were just, like, looking around at his stuff. And she was talking about where all various things came from and like ornaments and mugs and who bought him what and where she picked this thing up. And she was like scanning the room and I was opening drawers and being like, what's in here? <laughs> and it was just weird. Like his paperwork, his bills, his glasses, his, his pens. He had, why do you have so many fucking pens? How many pens do you need at once on this goddamn computer desk? He had a stack of like 90 fucking pens in a jar. <laughs> but I was just looking around and I was like, it's so weird that you just leave everything that's yours behind people, things, uh, possessions. It's just so strange. It was the weirdest thing to be in that room. After all the funeral stuff was over, we went back to my Nana's and we hung out there for a little bit. And then I was like, I got to go home. I got to like get myself together. I was so drained from like the whole past week. I think everyone was the whole past week and a half of just nonstop everything happening that I was like, I got to fucking get my shit together and just sit in silence on the couch and decompress and take a fucking shower and then go to work. <laughs> so I want to talk about grief 
because everyone deals with grief in their own way. Everyone has their own process. There is no set time limit for how long you should take to grieve. There is no set time limit for how long things take to become more normal. I don't think that these things go away. I think that things become easier with time from my own personal experience, but I don't think these things ever go away. So everyone grieves in a different way, right? Like I'm not much of a crier. I kind of got it all out in that moment in the hospital when I was watching my grandparents talk to each other. But, uh, you know, like I shed a few tears during the funeral, but I wasn't one to really cry the way that other people will. And I think sometimes people think that that's like meaning you're not sad, but I don't feel that way. I think that like I express my emotions with my words personally and I don't cry as much as I sometimes want to or feel like I should. It's just, I don't know, my body's weird. Maybe I'm a cold-hearted bitch, but <laughs> it just doesn't happen for me. So I think that everyone does it in their own way, minus humor, <laughs> like it or not. And I want to have a conversation about how people deal with grief and how people move past such a serious loss. So I figured we would check in with our resident therapist Pia and get some tips and some clarity on the grieving process. What's going on, my love? Oh, you know, <laughs> just stuff. <laughs> just like the day to day. How are you feeling right now? Um, I feel good. I feel like very at peace with things in a weird way. I think it's because we had such great last days. Um, and I know that so many people don't get that, that I feel grateful for how everything kind of got like wrapped up. Um, so I think that's helping me kind of handle things. And I also feel like, you know, it wasn't a big surprise. It was coming at some point. Yeah. But even still, it's still, you know, can be, can catch us off guard and can be a little bit jarring and like, what the fuck mm -hmm. um so it's okay um and you are right there is some solace in you know that that experience of having knowing that things ended on a good note mm -hmm. you know I had my ex-boyfriend died a few years ago and the last time I saw him, everything was okay. Mm -hmm. And like, we were very like up and down. Like you didn't know where we were going to land, depending on which way the wind blew. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that the last time I saw him, we were okay. Like he was like, I love you. But my friends, his two best friends, they were like really giving him a lot of shit. And they, and he died and they weren't on good terms. Right. And that's like, a big thing that they carry around with them is like them not being on good terms. So there is, there is um, a certain satisfaction that can be found. And like, I told them, you know, he, he, he left this world knowing how much, you know, he meant to you and how much you loved him and how much you cherished the time that, that you all got together, which is a really big thing. Right. However, that doesn't help with the grief and Grief, I've come to learn, is um, someone put it really beautifully that grief is love with nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's so funny. So last night I recorded the other parts of this episode and I asked for like some listener responses on how they may have handled this in the past. And someone actually mm -hmm. said that they called it 
love that you would give the person if they were here, but you have nowhere mm-hmm. to put it. So you hold on to it. So it's mm-hmm. funny that you said that. Yeah. And, and so it can be like really overwhelming and really scary and like really like shaky. Um, Cause you're like, what do I do? You know, like mm-hmm. I could easily access this person. So my recommendation is to start to channel that love and those feelings into something. Um, you know, sometimes when you start feeling overwhelmed, talk, talk, you can talk out loud and, and say like, you know, grandpa, like I am having a really hard time and I really, really miss you right now. And I really wish that you were with me right now. Um, I don't know why I'm getting all teary about this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, things like writing letters and, and letting them know, like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you're going to write like 10 letters in a day. Sometimes you just, you know, you write like, you know, just write out a letter and it's just like, you know, dear grandpa, dear so-and-so, dear whoever, like I was thinking about you today because I used your favorite mug or whatever it might be. I don't know why. I'm yeah. Crying. Are you going to be okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it's just like, we just don't talk about, we don't talk about grief and we right. don't talk about, you know, this experience. However, I also want to like really emphasize and highlight that like, we all think that grief is like something that we need to just get over mm-hmm. and that like there's going to be a time where we get over it. No, we don't. We learn to live next to it a bit better. We know how to navigate with it a bit better, but um, it does sit with us and it's there and and it comes, it definitely comes in waves, you know. Um, I had asked my mom recently, she was very close with her dad. Um, and he passed away when I was, when I was little and, um, I'm trying to remember what the exact question was, but she said, I said, when was the worst time? Cause someone else that I know also just recently lost someone and, and they were coming up to, to that person's birthday. Mm-hmm. And this is the first birthday. And I was like, when was, when was the worst time? She goes two years later. And I was like, why two years? And she's like, because that's when it really sets in that like they're never coming back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, doing little, little things that, that honor them and doing little things that carry them with us is a big thing. It's, you fun- know? it's funny that you said the letters too, because that was also something that I talked about. Like, that's a big thing for me throughout my life, even with people who I haven't lost in the sense of death, but just people I'm not connected to anymore. I feel like sometimes letters that you don't send can be very therapeutic. And I talked about in the earlier part of the episode, sometimes you read them back and you're like, thank fucking God I didn't send this to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a big, I am a big fan of letters, right? Because we really limit like grief to this experience of just it being when someone like dies, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but grief is in, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that we mourn and we grieve all throughout our lives. It could be a friendship that has ended. It's the end of a relationship. We could be grieving a part of our lives. Uh, you know, I, and, um, I feel like moms can really sympathize with this or have experienced this when I work with new moms, there's not a lot of space to discuss, you know, that this certain 
you know, um, era of their life is over mm-hmm. and they have this new life. And, and there's these two things that can exist simultaneously where you absolutely love and adore your child or children. And you're so happy to be a mom. Right. But there's also this grief of, of, you know, a time that's now passed, that's not coming back. And it doesn't make you less of a parent. It doesn't make you less of a caregiver or anything like that. But there's grief in this experience that you won't get that time back. Right. Or that freedom or whatever it might be. And freedom in the sense of it can exist as waking up whenever you want, going wherever you want. But also the freedom of I can pick up the phone and call this person. Right. Or go visit them or drop coffee off to them at work and things like that. Right. Um, so so we face grief more often on a day-to-day basis than I think we even realize. But the more show-stopping, like halting grief that we experience is in the form of death and also divorce. That's a big thing. I, I tend to notice that I do a lot of um, grief work and grief right. coaching when it comes to clients who are going through divorces. Well, it's interesting, too, that you said um, in reference to loss that sometimes a few years later is when it really sets in, because I feel like in most people's minds, it's like a natural reaction to think, well, I just have to get through this first period, whether whether their time reference is a few months, a year, whatever it is. People dread like the first year anniversary of a death. But it's interesting what you're saying that sometimes it really doesn't set in or it may not hurt the way it will until some time has passed and you realize that that person is really gone. So that's an interesting perspective as well. Yeah, we also have to remember that um, when we experience traumatizing things, um, and when I say traumatizing, the definition I'm using are events that we don't have the emotional tools to properly navigate and process what's going on. Mm -hmm. Naturally, we kind of just like shut down. when we think about funerals, you know, like, yes, there is the aunt in the corner who's hysterical. Um, think of the amount of times we, you know, you've been the cousin or the person who, you know, has, was taking shots out of a flask and stuff like that. So there were, is you, this were, you, were you there or did you have a camera oh, in there? Okay. <laughs> That's so weird. I was there in spirit. I was there in spirit. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so like we, we, put these like emotional bumpers because we're sort of um we're disassociating a little bit from the experience and that's a natural reaction because we are not prepared to really full feel the full impact of the pain that's headed straight for us when i when i work with clients and i am doing a lot of nervous system work and helping them you know get out of the sympathetic which is mm-hmm. uh fight or flight fight flight freeze and fawn back into parasympathetic. So rest and digest, which is when we're like more relaxed, our immune system is on, everything Mm -hmm. is working and cohesive. When I start to do that type of work of, of getting them back into a more relaxed state, all of a sudden there's these emotions that they're feeling that they didn't feel before. There's memories that are coming back. And it's because you're now safe to feel what it was that you were avoiding before. Right. So stages of grief. I started reading into this a couple days ago and looking at what the different stages of grief were. Um, Mm -hmm. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Do -hmm. you buy into this? Is this like a real thing? So uh, Kubler-Ross, the woman who is, uh, who formulated the stages of grief, 
Um, she actually, after her dad died, she came out and was like, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. That's not what happens. Um, it kind of happens, but it's not as sterile as, and, and cut and dry, right? We don't go from denial, (laughs) anger, you know, pleading, like it's not this like step by step by step experience. It's a tornado of these things, right? Um, you know, it's, it's common for, you know, right after someone passes and in your case, I'm going to use, you knew that your grandfather was going to pass. Mm -hmm. Okay. Grandfather passed. It's like, okay, we knew that was happening. I accept that he has passed. And then two days later, you can be like, absolutely not. I want my grandfather back. You know, I will give anything. Just please bring him back to me to what the fuck, why would you leave me here or why is my grandfather so it's this tornado of all of these experiences um all at once so it's not these like these like strict pillars and and Mm -hmm. stages that we naturally progress through they're experiences that we commonly see in the grief process it's also going to be a different experience based on who and what you're grieving like you were just we were just talking about how sometimes when you're prepared for things, it might make it a little easier in the moment. But someone mm-hmm. who's grieving the loss of a sibling or a child or somebody who leaves in a traumatic way, the way that they mm-hmm. grieve is going to look very different. And even two people in the same situation, if you put two people in the same exact situation with loss, they're going to handle it two totally different ways. And I think people forget that. I think a lot of people in a situation like this are so focused on, I got to get over this, or when is this going to go away, instead of just allowing themselves to feel whatever it is they need to feel to get through it. Yeah. And there's also a really, really great point in that too, um, because there's a there's a, this cultural impact of dealing with death and dealing with grief. Um, no surprise, we live in a capitalist society, and we don't really have time to like pause and 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 reflect and, Mm -hmm. you know, go through those. I'm so sorry that grandma died. Um, You need to be back at work. I can't tell you the amount of people that I've dealt with where, you know, they were at work and something happened. Some, you know, their sister got into a car accident. They tell their supervisor, I need to leave. I need to go to the hospital. And the supervisor's like, "Mm, who's going to cover your shift? (laughs) Or um, my sister, I had another client, sister died. And they said, hey, my sister died. I won't be able to make it in. You know, it was like a Wednesday. So they weren't able to make it in Thursday and Friday. And they were like, we're sorry about that, but you need to find someone to cover your ship. Things like that. So there's there is this sense of urgency that's like an undertone in most areas within our own culture. There's this really fantastic book called um, The Smoke Gets in Their Eyes. It's by Caitlin Dowdy. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, C-A-I-T-L-I-N. Um and she is an undertaker, if I'm not mistaken, or she or she works in the morgue. Mm-hmm. And she wrote this book, and it's sort of like an autobiography, but at the same time, it's this take on how we as a, as a society approach death and dying, and how we have just totally been separated from seeing death or witnessing death. Um, in one part of the book, she talks about, you know, you're driving down the street and you see these white vans there's coffins in these vans and you know she's like my favorite is when she's like one time you know I'm going on getting on this airplane and I see all of these people in their 
you know, their Hawaiian shirts and their khaki shorts <laughs> and everything like that, not realizing that there's coffins underneath the plane as right. well. And she's like, we're always surrounded by death, but we just don't see it all right. the time. Um, and it's really made it difficult for us to to process death, right? But when we look at other cultures, there are a variety of like different cultures that really approach death in such a different different manner um where there's there's time to sit and grieve and time to be with the body and time to to witness what is like going on mm-hmm. um i'm not going to say if they you know one person has it better and this culture and this society knows how to deal with it a little bit better than this one and they get through things faster but there is this sense of urgency um, to sort of get over it. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to get through this uh, because I need to return to my daily life. And it's not something that we just kind of get over or get through. You know, it's something that we just sort of learn to to sit there. And I've also dealt with a lot of clients who, because they were never, grief wasn't talked about. You know, they lost someone important to them when they were really, really young. And because they were really, really young, the parents didn't think that they needed to talk to them about grief and what death is. Mm-hmm. You know, think of the amount of, of ways, the different terms that we have to sugarcoat death. Mm-hmm. Um, they passed away. They went to heaven. They're with so-and-so now. All of these things that, that put space between you and the impact of death. Right. So I have clients who at a very young age experienced death. But no one really slowed down to talk to them about what was going on, explain to them, talk to them like, you know, you might feel this, you might feel that, so on and so forth. And now they are these adults and we'll work together and they have all of this anxiety and all of this stuff that's coming up. And when we start to really pull back the layers, they're like, I feel like I felt when I was five years old, six years old, seven years old. And my best friend next door died, Mm -hmm. you know, they were in a car accident or or, or things along those lines. What do you think is the best way to handle the initial ups and downs of trying to accept something like this? Do you think it's best to run right through how you're feeling? Do you think it's best to try to distract yourself and get back to some sort of routine? What do you feel is like the best way to handle the initial acceptance of what's happening? it with what you're feeling mm-hmm. that's always that's always my response to you know these things but no don't try as hard as you can to not a- avoid it mm-hmm. um if you need to cry cry if you need to scream get a pillow scream you know if you want to punch a pillow punch a pillow things like that um you know it don't take it out on the people that are around you mm-hmm. but sit and make time to feel what you're feeling. Try not to just push past it and just get over it. Um, take time with it, sit with it. Um, there might be rituals that you want to, that you want to come up with to accept what's going on, you know, lighting a candle, saying a few words, um, writing a letter, writing a candle speak, you know, there's things that you might want to do that might help you get through this, this process, but sitting with what's coming up and just feeling what you're feeling and, and knowing that you will come back up for, for air 
experiencing a death or a big loss and then immediately trying to avoid it by rushing in and, you know, this big routine. So you don't feel what you're feeling. That's no, but if you're someone who, you know, you feel things and you, you want to like go to the gym Mm -hmm. to like move that energy or do yoga to move that energy, or you want to sit and you want to meditate to like move that energy and confront it. That's one thing. But if you're using these things to ignore and avoid it, you know, um, that's, that's a whole other thing. I would also highly recommend if you can maybe, you know, finding a therapist and speaking to a therapist, finding someone that you can, you, you trust and you can speak to about what it is that you're feeling. If you don't know how to process feelings, a lot of us don't know how to even process or play or like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. You know? So, so finding someone that can, you know, help you and sort of guide you through this experience and provide you with language to help express what you're going through. Amen, sister. Thanks, babe. (laughs) (laughs) Just take the time to process what's going on. Yeah. And don't put yourself on a time frame. I think that's important too. It's, it's gonna, you're going to feel what you're going to feel. And of course, at some point you can't sit around and feel sad all day. You have to get back to some, normal life and routine and work and whatever it is that you're doing. But it'll be there when you get back. Right. You can still feel those things and you're not on a time schedule. There's not a certain date that you're supposed to accept and move on from this by. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you get to a point where you're two years down the line, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, and you're like all of a sudden smacked in the face with a wave of grief, which you know, waves of grief are going to, it comes in waves. Right. Um, it'll be the smallest things that you didn't even think of. Um, those, those are the things that impact us and, and, you know, are going to come up and don't judge yourself and don't beat yourself up because you, you know, quote unquote, thought that you were over it or thought that you moved past it or thought that you got through the hard part you know, it's like an onion and it's just a new layer of what's coming up and it's a new layer for you to face and stomach and and move through, but it's okay. It is okay. And you will get through it. And, um, more so than just confronting it, the biggest thing that I can really, um, I cannot emphasize enough, two things, really try and reach out to your support system, to your loved ones, to your friends, siblings, parents, you know, whoever it is that you can confide in, pets. Um, But also if you are the partner, the friend, the siblings, if you are not the person who is grieving, but you have someone close to you who is grieving, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for you to talk to that person about their grief and the person who passed Mm -hmm. a lot of the time we think it's impolite to not you know or to to bring up the dead um to talk about them to ask questions especially like right after it happened and things like that Mm -hmm. it's an inverse psychological experience because the message we're actually sending is that it's unsafe for that person to bring up the grieving person Mm -hmm. i can't tell you the amount of 
you know, people that I've worked with who have lost their spouse and all they want is, is someone to open the door and, and let them know it's okay for them to tell stories about their spouse or talk about their spouse or whatever it is. Or when they bring up the spouse, everyone kind of gets quiet and the, you know, the room gets still and everyone's like, oh, should we be talking about this? Things mm -hmm. like that. Um, what we're doing is we're actually making that other person who's already grieving responsible for our discomfort in the topic of death. So, you know, and it, that's also a perfect opportunity just to say, listen, death scares me or death is really uncomfortable. Or, I don't know how to really talk about death, but, you know, regardless of that, I would love to be able to hear stories that you hear about this person. And I want you to be able to come to me and talk to me about what it is that you're experiencing. Um, things along, along those, those lines, you know, I have plenty, I have friends, I have clients who lost parents when we were teenagers and we're, you know, late twenties, early thirties, and they're still carrying around this grief. Mm -hmm. And they are like, I just want to talk about my dad, or I just want to talk about my mom, or I just really miss my mom. Or, and they're like, it was over 10 years ago, you know, and they feel bad. And they're like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be that person, but you know, allow them to talk about it, allow them to come to you, allow them to, you know, but not just come to you actively ask actively, you know, say, do you have any stories that you want to talk about? Do you have any favorite memories? Do you have any traditions? Do you have any of these things? Talk about it with them because it lets them know that they're not alone. And grief is a very isolating experience. So this is a way for them to know that they're not alone. Because when we are faced with grief, we want to know that we're not alone too. Especially in a situation where you're dealing with it with other people. You know, if you have other mm -hmm. people that are close to you that this person was also important to, I feel like mm -hmm. that is an important support system. And to utilize those people and check in with them is very important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. You know, so have a support system and be a support system mm -hmm. you know if you're not grieving but you know someone else is be there for them you know it's always within the first month that everyone is running to drop off casseroles and things and stuff like that mm -hmm. but we see after the first month that all of that support now is just you know everyone else is like back to their normal life right. obviously but the 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 inner circle that really was faced with this grief is sort of now floating out to the abyss. And they're like, I don't even know what to do. Everyone said, if you need anything, call me. But now I don't know if that's still an option. Mm -hmm. So, so be there, you know, take your time, be there, reach out. Um, and, and it's okay. And keep your fucking casserole. Ugh, just that word makes me sick. <laughs> yeah keep your casserole send something better i have no idea i want like seriously I don't know. not a fruit I want, basket like, ugh, i'm ugh, my god just the things that i'm thinking of that people will send it's it's an odd it's an odd <laughs> thing it's a very it's a very very odd thing but, thank you these you know, apples and oranges are making me feel so much better <laughs> you're like love it thanks so much i really was hankering an orange right now send me something deep fried or fuck off <laughs> exactly exactly i want a steak i want a burger i want chicken fingers i want now i want a martini you yeah. know what i mean mm -hmm. like bring the goods or send a bottle out. yeah 100 percent. 
you're quickly becoming our resident therapist. So I'm going to have to send you my insurance so you can bill it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. If anyone has any other questions or anything, message me on Instagram, Pia Desir, P-I-A-D-E-S-I-R. Um, if you have any other questions about like grief or if you're going through through grief or something along those lines, you know, um, and you and you need some answers, I am more than happy to help in any way that that I can. I love Pia so much. She has such good energy and she just is so great to talk to. And every time I talk to her, I fucking feel better. If you haven't heard our full episode, we talk about love and relationships and communication and all that good stuff. It's episode seven. It's called The Quickest Way to Get Where You Want to Be. It's slowly. She is just a light in this shit world. And I love her so much. So thanks again to her for being here and for providing us with some clarity. Of course, I had to reach out to my people, my listeners, and get your take on grieving and loss. So I put something up on my Instagram asking how you guys have coped with loss and grief and what your tips are. All right. So let's read some responses from you, bitches. First one says, pretend they're on an <laughs> pretend they're on another island on vacation. I like that one. And mediums. They've helped me cope with a lot and feel peace. I totally support that. I think you need to research and you need to read some reviews of the person that you're gonna go to. Cause there's a lot of these TikTok bitches with their fucking tarot cards who are not really doing and saying that much. Not all of them, but there are some who are a bunch of bullshit. So make sure that if you are going to go to a medium, you go based on someone's recommendation or you read into it and you research them and make sure that these people are legit because there are some people out there. I have had an accidental experience myself, which was fucking crazy. That shit is real. I totally believe in that. I don't know what I believe in because I don't really buy the whole like heaven and hell shit. I don't, I'm not really a religious person. I don't get into like the little people with the wings and the sky are controlling your life and have a plan for you. And that's where you float up to when you die. That's just my personal belief. I'm not knocking or downing anyone's religious beliefs. I just have my own. I believe more in like energy and the universe and dimensions. And I think there's somewhere that you go when you leave your body. I don't think that this life is it. And that's why I believe we see portions of things that we can't really see or communicate with when it comes to spirits. I think it's like a parallel dimension. I think there's something going on. I just don't personally think it's heaven and hell. I think it's weird that from a religious standpoint, we grow up and I grew up going to religion classes and being taught all that stuff. And it's just weird to me that we say God is the father of all children and he forgives all evil and all people if you repent and you ask for forgiveness and all this shit. But then that person also might damn you to hell for eternal suffering and burning in flames. I don't know. I, I just don't really. I think it's a little bit of a contradiction, but that's just my opinion. So I believe a little more in like a general spiritual situation. But I think if you find the right medium, you can really get some closure and some great communication. So just research who you're going to. Next one says, work helps me keep my mind off things. I agree to an extent. When I go to work, I feel like it can help me just like 
know that I have to be in a different mental space and kind of put myself there. But sometimes it's also the last fucking place I want to be when I'm feeling down because I don't want to talk to anyone and I don't want to hear anyone notice that I'm quiet or whatever that day and ask me, what's wrong? Are you okay? Leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) That's so mean. People mean well, but whatever. Okay, the next one says, my friend was murdered in 2014, and honestly, I still to this day am coping with it. My best advice is to allow yourself to feel. You are human and it is okay, but you need to start getting back into a routine or make one. On my hard days, I journal or drive down to the water no matter the season. It doesn't get easier. It just becomes more tolerable. Find your escape. Maybe it's the podcast. 100% for me is the podcast, among other things. I love what she said about... On my hard days, I journal. I'm not big on journaling because I feel like this podcast is my journal where I like talk about my life and what's happening to a sense. But I do write a lot in my notes on my iPhone, just like ideas and thoughts and, and things that I want to revisit. And I really like to write people letters. Um, I've written letters after a few relationships where like I had things to say and I didn't really want to say it to that person or I didn't know if it was going to come out the way I wanted to say it. So I'll write a letter, but I won't send it. And then sometimes I'll revisit it. And then I'll be like, thank God I didn't fucking send this to anyone. (laughs) Or I still feel the same way. It it varies. But I like to write letters to people that are just personal. Like I'm speaking to them, but they don't know it. I'm not giving it to them. So I also feel like for people that you've lost, that could be great as well. Like maybe once in a while you can write your loved one a letter, even though they're not here. And you're just kind of like getting out the feelings of talking to them and expressing. And I feel like I'll do that with my grandfather. I feel like once in a while I'll probably sit down and write him a letter about stuff. And yeah. (laughs) I also feel like that's so sad that this person was taken from them in in like a violent way. I feel like that's part of what I was talking about before where like sometimes you don't get the opportunity to say goodbye to that person or have some closure. And that's why it's it's things like this that I hear and I think about that make me so grateful that I had those moments with my family, with my grandfather. Next one says, think about the good moments you had and how you were lucky to have experienced even a moment of their lives with you and cry when it happens. <laughs> you know me, I'm not a fucking crier. I agree. I think it's so important to like think about the value of the relationship that you've lost and how like feeling sad means that that person was important to you and that you're lucky to have had that relationship at all. Next one says, looking at pictures, watching videos and remembering good times is what helps me through with also the strong belief that there is a better place we go to out there and that takes the pain away, suffering, or struggles. Knowing that your loved one is connected with those who left before who they've missed so much. I like that too. Wherever it is that they go, I wonder if they really are with the people who have gone before them. That's an interesting perspective as well. Next one says, I don't know if it helps or not, but I take moments to connect with that person somehow whenever I see something that reminds me of them. Even if it's just pointing it out, it somehow makes me feel closer. That's a really great response as well. If you see something that reminds you of the person that you've lost, take a moment to point it out, to think about it, to talk about it, to like connect yourself to that moment. What is the reason that I'm being reminded of this person? Or just feel present in the fact that their memory is there. I like that. Next one says, church or religion, giving it to God. Music 
get right in those feels and cry it out. (laughs) Take time for yourself, self-care, whatever it is. Relax and take your time. I agree. I think that if you are a religious person and you are someone who feels connected to God or multiple gods or whatever it is you believe in, I think that your faith can definitely pull you through. Music is a big one for me, so I relate to that 100%. There is so much music that soundtracks different points and different moods of my life. Um, taking time for yourself and taking your time to get through it. I spoke with my grandmother this week so many times and we had texted, we had spoke on the phone and she was talking about the pain she feels. And I said to her, this is going to happen in your own time. You might feel like this for seven months. You might feel like this for two years. You might feel like this for six weeks and then feel differently. Everyone moves through things differently and it takes you your own amount of time to adjust to stuff. And sometimes it's beyond your control. Sometimes it's not in your control to wake up and feel sad about something you've lost. It just is going to be what it is for however long it is. Do you know what I mean? So that's important too. You have to understand that things are not going to become normal right away. The next one says, I lost my father unexpectedly three years ago. He was 65. I exercised a lot. I also drank. (laughs) There's no specific way to grieve. What brings you joy and sadness is the best medicine. I luckily had really funny toddlers at the time. I agree. Whatever brings you joy and sad times, cling on to that 100%. Whether it's your kids, the exercise she's talking about. I feel like I exercise real hard when I'm in a bad place. So that is very therapeutic at times as well. The next one says the most helpful thing that was said to me, and it's so simple, it sounds dumb, but it was that she is with me now. When she was alive, she was in Virginia and I wasn't. And now she's part of me and with me all the time. Also loved hearing grief described as unexpressed love, like that you would give them if they were here, but instead you have to keep it in you. That's a really great perspective. Grief is almost like love that you would give to the person if they were here, but you don't have that person here. So whatever that love is in whatever form, you just kind of have to keep inside yourself. So whether it was calling them and expressing to them how you feel, sending a text message, if it's a romantic partner, it might be an embrace or it might be something romantic that you don't have anymore and you have to hold all that in instead. So that's a really great point to make. This person also said, I also like to just picture my grandma wherever she is or isn't, but I put her there like happy as a clam doing something she loved, like playing dominoes poolside with a martini. I like that a lot. If you're in a situation where that person's not there and you kind of picture like if this person was here, where would they be and what would they be doing? So if she's laying by the pool, she would think of her grandma sitting by the pool with her, playing her dominoes and drinking her martini. I like that a lot. It's a way to kind of keep that person connected into the moment with you and where you are and think about like, if they were here, what would they do? That could bring you some joy. Next one says, I write things in my notes section on my iPhone. You should try it. Fuck yeah, bitch. That's something I already do. I was just talking about that. I fucking love that shit. I write so much in my notes. It's unfathomable if you scroll through how many different ones they are. Um, She also said, I do it for everything. Anytime I need to work through an emotion, good, bad, or otherwise, it's very therapeutic. She's referring to the notes in her phone. I think you can grieve people that have died as well as people that are still alive that you have no connection with anymore. That's really powerful. There's tons of people whose relatives 
family members, relationships, exes, whatever, that you're so connected to just don't exist in your life anymore, but they're not dead. They're still here somewhere. You just don't have a connection to them anymore. So that's actually really powerful. She also said, my view on death is very full circle. It happens, but it's how we process it that affects us. I'm not a very religious person, but I'm sure some people use that as a way to help them too. I have lost many people in my life, and weirdly, the more I lose, the more I have become at peace with it. That's really cool as well, because that's how I feel. I feel like I've become at peace very quickly with what's happened over the past couple of weeks, because if it had to happen, it happened in the best way. I couldn't have asked for anything more. So I feel that that's my way that I've made peace with it. But I also understand what she's saying, where like, the more it happens, the more you get used to that it's a part of life. And I feel like we all know that it's going to happen to everyone in our life. But we kind of try not to think about it or put it off, you know, like, I wasn't really thinking about that with my grandparents, all four of them in that sense. Like, I know they're not going to last forever, but you kind of feel like, I don't know, maybe they will. <laughs> Next one says, find your own escape, get back into your routine and be strict about it. And when the hard days come, allow yourself to feel it. Make it a goal to get back to the podcast on a specific date. One small goal. You can podcast tomorrow and set another goal to edit next week. Just do something. That's good advice. Thank you for that because I took off the past two weeks and now I am back to my fucking regimen. So here I am recording. I will edit tomorrow and I will be back at it next week. But 100% getting back to your routine will make you feel normal, but maybe not too quick. After the Tuesday that he passed, I went to work all throughout the normal week. And then the services were on my normal Monday and Tuesday off. So I went to the services and I was drained from that. And then that Wednesday, I went right back to work and I got there and I was like, why the fuck did I not take this day off? After two weeks of being in the hospital, two days in a row for a million hours, I'm sorry, three days in a row for a million hours, and then coming home and going right to work the next day all week and then doing the services for two days and then going right back to work all week. Why did I not take that Wednesday off and just sit and sleep and feel and do whatever? That was fucking stupid. So I completely agree. Get yourself back into your routine, but maybe give yourself a couple fucking days or a week or whatever you need to like settle and process. Next one says, write about it. I 100% agree. Writing about things makes me feel so much better. And now talking about things, like as this show has progressed and become such a part of my normal routine, I feel like this makes me feel so much better that it's sometimes takes the place of writing, but I still do that too. Next one says, Hi, just here to say I've listened to the pod and you do phenomenal, so entertaining. Thank you so much, dear. This person is such an intelligent, wonderful, well-rounded bitch, okay? You know the people who you're like, wow, you're so smart and so pretty and so well-liked and such a kind person and you're also athletic. Like, could you be any more perfect? That's this person. So coming from you, that is quite a compliment. Thank you very much. She also said, <laughs> I'm also currently dealing with grief, so I felt inclined to respond. I've been working on feeling grateful to have someone so important in my life to be this heartbroken. People experience grief in so many ways, but I am so lucky to have had this person in my life. I try my best to think of all the happy moments and silly, stupid things we have done together or people in her life 
have done with her. Laughing about memories she has is the best. A lifetime with someone is never enough time. It's so true. No matter how much time you get, it's never enough. But I agree with this because we had talked about this previously with another response, which is feeling grateful that you had the relationship you've had with this person. Because it's so crazy how we get put into these families that we don't choose with these people that we don't choose. And then we come into contact with a million other people throughout our life, friendships, relationships that we do choose. And when someone, whether it's a family member or someone you picked, when someone makes an impact on your life so much so that you feel such an incredible loss when they're not here, it really is a moment to be grateful that you even had that relationship to begin with because so many people don't have that. So many people search their whole lives for such a meaningful relationship and some don't find it. So be grateful that you had that relationship to begin with, even though you're sad that it's gone. I completely agree. The next one says tequila. <laughs> I personally am not a tequila drinker because it makes me angry and I can't stand the fucking smell or taste of it. But alcohol, 100%. If you are not a recovering addict, you should drink. Dive into the bottle for a small period of time if that's what you need. If you have previously had an addiction issue, please do not take that advice from me because I don't want to be responsible for a relapse. Do not call my lawyer. No, no, no. Next one says, I'm so sorry if you lost someone. Losing my grandma was really hard, but looking at pictures of her and telling and reliving memories with her is helpful. But truthfully, only time really healed the loss and I still get sad. A hundred percent. There is no substitute for time. I say that all the time. Time and life experience are the two things that you just cannot fucking substitute and things will become easier, even if not forgotten, even if not something you don't deal with, it will become more manageable over time, whatever it is. I will 100% believe that. Next one said, I've had my fair share of death in my family and dealing with grief. I only have my dad and my aunt left. Some days are harder than others. Be kind to yourself. Allow yourself the time you need to process and go through it. Having a support system is great, especially someone who has been through it before. I still talk to my family members. I just say things out loud that I want them to know. Mind you, I do this in the privacy of my own home or in my car so that someone doesn't send me to see them for the night. <laughs> Although I could use a good vacation. I also had a ring made with my sweet late Boston Terrier's name on it. I wear it every day. Helps me feel close to him. I try and honor my family in different ways. Whether it's making one of my grandmother's recipes and using her platters to serve it or telling a story to someone about them. Talking about them makes me feel like they won't be forgotten. I have so many personal items in my house for my family members. There are many personal ways to honor your family member. I wish I had a magic answer for you. Sorry you're hurting, friend. I'm here if you need someone to talk to. So sweet and kind. Thank you. I agree with this as well. It's so cool to have some things that belonged to someone who you've lost and to have that around your house, bring in their energy, bring in their memory. So when you look around, you always see that and you know that they are still a part of you. I have this really cool like beer stein. It's metal with my uncle's name engraved in it that my grandmother gave to me when he passed away when I was super young. Um, and I've always had that and it always sits somewhere in my house and it's on this little shelf to this day. And I've had it since I think he was like 
maybe I was like six or seven when he's pa- when he passed. So I've had it this whole time and it's something that's just become like a part of my decor wherever I've lived. So I agree with that. I also have my aunt's <laughs> ashes on my entryway table by my front door because my mom has had them since she passed away, what, 10 years ago maybe? And she was like the closest person to me that I've ever lost. <laughs> When my mom was moving from one house to another recently, she was like, why don't you take Aunt Teresa for a bit? As if she's fucking here. As if she's a toddler that I'm going to put in a car seat and take to my house and babysit. Why don't you take Aunt Teresa for a while? She has to be this big fucking black box that has her ashes. So I'm in an urn. It's like a home goods sexy box that you would put out in your house. So I took it home and I put it on the, the passenger seat floor and like braced it with my legs. And it like was bumping into me and I like elbowed it a little and I was like, move over, bitch. Like, give me some fucking room. So I took it to my house and now it's in my entryway. So I literally have her in my home. So that's like strange, but whatever it is. And now I talk to her when I come home or when I leave the house. So that's something you can do as well. (laughs) But I like everything that she said. I love that she finds different ways to like talk to them, talk about them, have their things around so that nobody's forgotten. I love that. Next one says, my mom passed last year, literally in my arms. Then I got drunk a lot. (laughs) Good for you. Until I realized I was only prolonging the inevitable pain of it all. I don't have any answers for you. All I know is that you're allowed to feel whatever feelings that come along the way and you don't need to justify that to anyone, not even yourself. You just got to feel all the feels, good and bad, and eventually you learn to be numb to it. The pain will always be there. I guess you just adapt somehow and try not to let it change you into someone you don't want to be. Wow. Pieces of your loved one are already a part of you. I think they just shine a little brighter after they're gone and you let yourself heal. Wow, I feel like I want to (laughs) cry. That was so powerful. The pain will always be there. I guess you just adapt somehow and try not to let it change you into someone you don't want to be. That is so powerful because sometimes when we experience great and devastating loss, we act in ways that are not who we are. And sometimes people end up not recognizing themselves at a certain point. I've seen it happen to other people who I care about who have suffered great loss. And everyone loses and grieves differently because of who they lost. So it's different. My grandfather was too young, in my opinion, to go. And if it wasn't for the cancer, we wouldn't be in this position because he was young, healthy, and vibrant before then. But he was also 71 years old. And while that's young, it's not the same as someone who tragically loses a sibling or... or a child, someone who's young, 20s, teens. Do you know what I mean? Not that one loss is less significant than the other because that's not what I'm trying to say. But sometimes things are more tragic than others and that can lead you to grieve in a very different way. And that can lead to something dark. You know, I couldn't imagine if I lost someone in my life who was young. Like I think about sometimes when people talk about their siblings or their parents, if I lost my brother who's 21, my whole life would look different. My fucking life would change in an instant. If I lost a parent, it would be so different now because my parents are in their 50s. My parents are both 53 and I'm 29. It would be very different the way I grieved those losses 
if I was doing so at 29, the same reversed. If my parents had to mourn the loss of their child who's 29, that would look very different than if it was 30 years in the future. You know what I mean? So everything's different based on the circumstances. How you grieve and, and how you react is based on how you lose. And we have to remember sometimes that everyone doesn't lose the same way. It's different. You know what I mean? I honestly love this so much because you guys are always so open and honest in the responses that you give. And it always makes me feel so good that we can like spark these conversations. And I know that it'll help someone somewhere in some way that listens to it. And maybe if someone's feeling down or someone's experiencing this themselves, it could make it like a little easier to hear this because I posted this and I was waiting for some responses and I got so many today after just a few hours of this being up, they just started fucking rolling in. So, so many people are experiencing the same thing I'm experiencing in different ways. And it really changes my perspective to listen to them talk about their experience and what they're going through. And I've learned some tips and some things that I might try that I haven't tried yet from these responses. So I love that you guys are always so open and honest when you respond to these things. And I appreciate every single one of you putting your emotions and putting your heart out there, knowing that I'm, even though I'm not saying your name, I'm going to fucking read this to everybody. Everyone knows at this point when they respond to those things, I'm going to fucking read it on the show. So I appreciate everyone being open to being vulnerable and to sharing that stuff because it really has helped me tonight to read all these and realize that I'm not going through this by myself and my family isn't the only family going through this and Everyone has their ways of handling it. And it's so nice to see everyone's different perspective and different responses. I love it so much. Thank you so much for being so open and so responsive. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's this episode. I think it was really important to me to do this episode and talk about this stuff for a few reasons. One of which is because I'm watching my family deal with this loss. You know, I'm watching my dad and my aunt lose their father. My my dad is 53. It's like kind of strange for to lose a parent. You know what I mean? He feels so young to me that for him not to have his dad, I don't know. It feels weird to me. It's just so strange that this person is no longer there. So I'm watching them lose their father. I'm watching my cousins lose their grandfather. And I think about the difference in the perspectives and the experiences because they're 29. I'm 29. <laughs> Two fucking weeks off and I don't even know how to podcast anymore. They're young. My older cousin is 21 and I'm 29. So for me, I've had so many more years into my adulthood with my grandfather here and part of those experiences. And there's this kind of cut short. So I'm thinking about that a lot. I'm thinking about my grandmother's perspective of losing her life partner of over 50 years and adjusting to what it's like for the first time in over 50 years to be alone, to live alone, to know that that person's not coming back, that there's not going to be another conversation, to deal with whatever was left unsaid or maybe everything was said. I don't know. But looking at all these different perspectives is really just wild to me. Um, but I also really felt like I wanted to do this to help anyone else that might be going through something. And I also really wanted to do this because so many people came up to me 
at the services and talked about this show and talked about the things that they are seeing me doing from social media and whatever. And at least, I want to say it was like at least three or four people that were like, oh, the last time I talked to your grandfather, he was telling me about your podcast and what you were doing. And he was so proud of you and so excited. And, you know, he was saying this, that, and the third about everything you're doing. And that made me feel so good because we had had a conversation, him and I, about that the last time I visited with him alone. And then we had talked about it the day we were there with my family because he kept bringing it up. So I knew that he was excited and proud of the stuff that I was doing and that he really believes in what I'm doing and was so encouraging every time we spoke about it. But then to hear other people tell me that he had said that to them and he was so enthusiastic about it and so encouraging that he was talking to other people about it when I wasn't around made me feel so good. And I wanted to find a way to honor him and my family in in this episode because I needed to talk about it. I needed to get it out selfishly, but I also wanted it to be for everyone else, if that makes sense. So I hope that everyone listening takes something from this whether it's the responses, whether it's the conversation with Pia about how to deal with things. I hope that if you are handling loss and grief of your own, you find a way to move through it and you allow yourself the time to feel what you need to feel and to discover the ways that you will honor that person's memory and keep them alive. Please feel free to reach out to me via Instagram at Mickey Not the Mouse. Feel free to reach out to Pia. Feel free to email me. It's at not, well, it's not at, it's a fucking email. <laughs> it's not the mouse productions at gmail.com. That's not the mouse with two T's. There's so many people for you to reach out to if you feel like you're alone. I'm always here for everyone. I know Pia feels the same way. Nobody should have to be alone. If you feel like you don't have anyone, there's always someone to reach out to. And if that has to be me, I'm perfectly open to it. And I will be less obnoxious and funny and more serious <laughs> if someone needs me to be. But I will slip in a joke every now and then because that's how I fucking operate. But I don't want anyone to feel like they are going through any kind of loss alone. And I hope that something from this episode has resonated with you. So I will be back next week. I don't know with what could be an interview, could be another solo episode. I haven't really figured it out yet, but we will be back with something a little more uplifting and exciting and we will have more laughs than we did this week. I fucking promise you that. Thank you so much for listening and for tuning in. And yeah, I feel great now. I feel like I've lifted a weight off my shoulder. Sorry that this is a fucking long ass episode, but we had a lot of shit to get out and a lot of shit to address. Thank you so much again to my family for just being my family. <laughs> I can't express enough times how much these past two, three weeks have meant to me. And they are memories that although like it wasn't a great happy time, it still felt that way at moments. And I just think that it was a bonding experience for all of us to grow closer, even though we were losing something at the same time. And I'm so thankful to them. And I will always have the memories, the great memories that stuck out through these past couple weeks. And that's it. I'm done being a sappy, emotional bitch. Okay, that's it. You're not getting this from me for a very long time. So fucking enjoy it while it lasts. All right, whores. I will see you next week. Goodbye. Hi, Michael. It's Poppy. 
I was outside in the front, and they left my phone in the back like a nut-nut. I uh, see so you called me 15 minutes ago. Thank you so much. And I love you so much, and probably you're working today, huh? All righty. So you came right to the phone, so don't worry about it. I'm just acknowledging your phone call. And thank you so much, and I love you. Okay, bye-bye.